0: Imagine walking through the woods of Kentucky, a forested trail winding through the hollow, when something approaches you from ahead. It's both wolf and man, and yet something entirely new and disturbing. You know instinctively if you try to run, it will catch you in moments. Welcome back to the Darkness Prevails podcast, Today's episode features scary stories from Kentucky, creepy things seen in hollows, and even more sightings and encounters with supposed werewolves. If you've encountered something unexplained and creepy, share your story with us at darkstories.org so I can narrate it. If you need more scary podcasts in your life, check out my network at eeriecast.com for more horror-related shows. Now, let's begin. In the Woods, Werewolf from Zenith I grew up in a place that was a simple back road drive to the middle of nowhere, Missouri. I can't say it was boring, despite it being surrounded by woods and swaths of nothing but tall grass and corn, as it did hold dark things. As a kid at age six, I had no sense of self-preservation, and it showed every time I went out to play in the woods at night, even when my uncle, who I visited often, told me not to. It was one of those times on an August night, sun beginning to set as it got closer to 8pm. I'd been playing with my younger sister and older cousins outside all day, But like any kid, I had a lot more energy left to burn. So when my uncle called us in, I pretended to tie my shoes until my sister and cousin ran inside. The moment that door closed, I bolted into the woods. I always felt so at home there, day or night. I never felt afraid or alone in those woods. So when I ran down the familiar dirt path, with wind and trees shifting as the night song. I was happy. I looked for mushrooms, dug for worms, climbed trees, entirely oblivious to anything but my own adventure in my head. I didn't notice the atmosphere shift until I was climbing down a tree out of breath. I noticed how silent it got. If the woods were anything, they were never silent. There would be frogs croaking, bugs buzzing, something. But there wasn't even wind anymore. Now, at age six, I'd always been an adventure and horror enthusiast. So I instantly recognized that I was either in immediate danger or just being paranoid. I started walking back to the house, beginning to get anxious. The sounds of nature remained silent. This long silence was a warning get out. But I didn't run. I'm not sure why, but something told me not to run. I was almost relieved when I heard various snapping branches. I thought it was the herd of deer that sometimes came through the area. At this point, the sun had mostly set, giving me only enough light to see ten feet ahead when surrounded by trees. So when I looked behind me and saw a big shape, I didn't think anything of it still thinking that it was just one of the deer until it began to stand i froze mostly from surprise and curiosity i probably should have tried to get away immediately but fear was overridden by my want to know just what i was looking at i began to look it up and down taking in its humanoid look black fur with undertones of gray up until I was looking into its eyes, a deep and bright blue. The head was mostly wolf, along with its arms that ended in hand-like appendages and large claws that could put a bear to shame. Since I was a kid, this thing looked absolutely massive to me, but if I were to scale it now, I'd say it was a little over seven feet. I was strangely content, looking at this thing that shouldn't have been real. I even had that bizarre thought to reach out and pet it. Soon, I heard my uncle shouting my name, stomping through the bushes until he was visible. I looked at him, then the thing not too far from me, the creature was closer to me than my uncle was. My uncle froze, and I swear, he looked like he recognized it before fear overcame any other emotion on his face. Kai, come over here, hurry. He called to me. I frowned and looked back at the creature. It didn't seem hostile at all. It hadn't even moved from the moment I looked at it. After a while, it looked at my uncle, and it looked like it smiled, before disappearing off the path too fast for me to follow seconds later i felt my uncle scoop me up from the ground and rushed us out of the woods after we got to the house i saw dad waiting for us i guess he came to get my sis and i dad saw the fear on his brother's face and immediately asked what's wrong see uncle wasn't a very expressive person his face always stayed set blank uncle shook his head and set me down in front of my dad Huge stray got close to Kai. Dad had a weirdly knowing look when he said that, which confused me. It stood up, I exclaimed. I think it's nice. Uncle sighed and started to go inside to get my sister, before pausing and commenting. This one's too much like you. Shouldn't play with strays, Kai. Dad smiled. I think it's a good thing. A howl made us look back to the woods, and I felt compelled to go back. I wanted to see it again, just to know I wasn't imagining anything. Dad must have known how I felt and said, your uncle is right. Don't run off to play with strays. I stayed quiet after that, just getting into the car and waiting for my sister so we could go home. I don't know why I was frustrated then, about Uncle and Dad calling the thing astray when it clearly wasn't an ordinary dog. They were hiding something from me. But I didn't say anything, vowing to explore those woods again and again until I found it once more. I almost miss it, being unaware of the danger I was in with how reckless I was being. But I'm glad I know to be cautious now this caution has saved my life more than a few times in the words of my uncle kids looking for adventure don't play with strays the world's fastest cryptid canine from rorick i'm sharing this sighting because i don't know what i saw but it was unlike anything else I've ever encountered. The animal I saw was a canine of some sort, but I've never seen an animal run like this, and that's saying something, as I used to work for a guy who raised and raced greyhounds. Heck, even my hometown is famous for being the hometown of Lady Greyhound, for whom the Greyhound bus line gets its name. I've grown up with yellow labs and I've seen countless foxes and coyotes in both the wild and in more urban areas here in Kansas, so I know what the indigenous as well as typical pet canines of the area look like, and how they behave. This animal was unlike anything else I'd ever seen. This sighting happened in broad daylight in early April in central Kansas, as I was driving south along Highway 81 in Ottawa County. I was driving south towards I-70 as I was on my way to Colorado for a business conference when I noticed an animal running fast on one of the unpaved county roads that intersects the highway. The highway has 4 lanes, 2 for southbound travel and 2 for northbound, so it's pretty broad. The highway wasn't particularly busy, but there were other vehicles on the road. There was a white pickup heading north that I spotted probably a quarter of a mile away. Of course, when two vehicles are driving 70 plus miles per hour, they'll meet and pass each other quite quickly. I bring this up because the thing I saw running made its way from the west side of the county road across all four lanes of the highway and onto the east side of the highway before the white pickup truck and I passed one another. Perhaps this wouldn't be too notable if the four lanes of the highway were the furthest distance crossed by this creature. However, when I first spotted the animal running east along the dirt road, it was a minimum of 50 meters away from the highway, and I saw it clear another 50 meters or more on the other side of the highway before I passed out of sight of this animal. In all, I'd say the sighting lasted four or five seconds and this thing was running the whole time. It ran like a greyhound, though it was much larger than any greyhound. Its head was much larger than any greyhound's could be too, and its body was stout yet sleek. Overall, this animal was larger. Honestly, it was more like one of the direwolves from the Game of Thrones series, though the fur was not quite as long. It was shorter at the shoulder than a white tailed deer, but larger than any greyhound, coyote, or farm dog I've ever seen. Another thing that I found odd about this sighting is that I could not see any prey that this canine could have been chasing. I can't imagine anything outrunning this animal anyway, but still, no rabbit or any other small animal led this animal in its pursuit. Other than its size and its speed, I cannot attribute any supernatural qualities to it. I did not feel threatened by the creature, but if I had been on a bike or an ATV, this thing could have easily pounced and knocked me on the road, if it had wanted to. Such was its speed, power, and size. In addition to wondering what the creature was, I've often wondered why it was running so fast. Since I couldn't see any prey that it was chasing, I wonder why it was running as fast as it was, how long it had been running before I spotted it, and how far it continued to run before stopping, wherever its endpoint came to be. I do not believe this was a gray wolf, as they've been extinct in Kansas since the early 1900s, and it was far too large to be a coyote. For reference, a large coyote would be 40 pounds or more, and this animal appeared to be well in excess of 100 pounds. I have a 75 pound yellow lab and this animal was much larger than she is. Anyway, I don't know what this thing was. I hesitate to call it a cryptid, but it was unlike anything I've ever seen. Either someone is breeding super large and extremely fast farm dogs or there is an aberrant form traipsing around central Kansas challenging mammalian land speed records. Dragged out by a werewolf in Quebec from Fatality 611. I was camping with the Cadet de la Marine Real in Quebec, Canada. That is the Royal Canadian Sea Cadets I don't remember where exactly for the city. It was 13 years ago when I was 11 or 12. I went camping in a tent alone because I wasn't able to properly communicate with people at the time without hurting them with words. So there I was, sleeping in an army-like tent alone with the roof not even connected to the floor, which created an open space to the outside. It was a summer morning around 6 a.m. I suddenly felt a terrible cold come over me. I thought I was in my sleeping bag. I opened my eyes and I realized first I was outside in broad daylight somehow. And secondly, in front of me was standing this huge black thing about 6 or 7 feet away. It was standing at an impressive 1.5 meters in height. I don't remember if it was on two or four legs. This encounter lasted less than five seconds because I thought I was dreaming. I closed my eyes, ignoring completely the red flag, and fell back to sleep. I woke up a few hours later at the same spot, but that black creature or thing was gone. Now to be sure I wasn't dreaming, I finally got up and looked around me to see that I had been dragged out of my tent a few feet away. I crawled back into my tent and somehow fell asleep for the last time. I asked the person that was in the same tent acting as a watcher because of my bad attitude if he noticed that I was gone. He replied that he pushed me to the side of the tent but nothing else. After hearing this, it confirms to me that these things might exist for real and one had dragged me out of my tent for some purpose. I don't have any sleeping problems, and strangely enough, I didn't notice any kind of cut or slash or bite on my body. What was it going to do with me, I wonder? The Worst Birthday From Metalhead1 Let me preface this by saying that before this traumatic event, I've only ever heard of the Bigfoot and the Wendigo. And though I found them very intriguing, to be honest, I wasn't sure if I believed in them until one fateful night in July, 2019. It was the eve of my 30th birthday party and I had been putting up with a lot of stress the weeks before, so I figured I'd go camping for the night and fish in the morning. Sounded like a good birthday to me, I decided I'd go to Frederick Forest here in Maryland. After all, it's a very beautiful place, and it's 30 minutes away from the metropolitan city I live in. I really just needed a day to myself. So I made sure I had my provisions, my fishing pole and tent, and I set out to a spot I'd stayed at before, not too far from the main road, if crap ever hit the fan. Once there, after I finally get my tent set up, I get a little fire going. By then, I'd say it's about 8.30 p.m. The sun had already set, so I get out my Bluetooth speaker and jam to some good old Metallica, just enjoying the sounds of the cackling fire and the beautiful sounds of nature as well. I thought to myself, tomorrow's going to be awesome. An hour of jamming later, I turn my Bluetooth off so as to not attract any predators or crazies and went to sleep now i've never had such a rude awakening in my life but at the same time it was very startling i woke up to a very loud and powerful howl if i didn't know any better i'd say a roar as well coming from no further than 50 feet from my tent i'm not gonna lie i was shaken up it was about 3am. With my hands shaking, I grabbed my flashlight to check it out. I crawl out of my tent, trying to stay completely quiet. Even holding my breath, I scanned the tree line trying to find the source. It didn't take long for me to find it. I found a pair of canine eyes resting upon the silhouette of a man. They were staring at me. I thought... Dude, you're dreaming. Then, as if the thing had heard my thought, it focused its gaze on me. I was literally in such fear in my head, I was thinking, get the flashlight off of it, and run. But it felt as if I had cement shoes on. I was in shock, to say the least. So this thing steps closer, and I see all of it now. It stood at about six feet or seven feet tall with jet black hair, a head similar to a German shepherd if I had to guess, and a muscular torso and claws that had to be three inches long. Its back legs were inverted. It started sniffing at me, then circling me, and all I could think to myself was, this is it, this is how it ends. It then gave me a growl followed by another howl, as if to say, leave. Then, in a couple of bounds, it was gone. I don't think I ever moved that fast to do anything in my life, as I packed up all my belongings and shoved them in my car, speeding out of there. Truth be told, I even got a speeding ticket along the way home. I know now there are things out there, No matter how much you try, you just can't explain them. And that's what happened to me that night. I'm thankful that that thing spared me. And until now, I've never told anyone who would believe me. But hey, it was some birthday, huh? Werewolf in Oregon From Edward Cullen Alpha Wolf It was about a year ago. I remember going on vacation in Oregon. After a long season of school, my mom said we should take a trip. We packed our things the night before, ready to just get in the car and leave. The next morning, we woke up at 6 a.m., got in the car, and left. It took us about eight hours to get there. When we pulled up to our hotel, we got to our room and brought all our stuff in and got settled down. I always preferred to sleep by the window, so I got the bed with the window of course. We went out that day and visited some aquariums and stuff. When we got back home we were very tired, so we went straight to bed. Except for me, I stayed up and watched Twilight and Harry Potter. At one point I looked out the window into the forest nearby, where the deer and elk roam. I figured there were probably wolves out there too so I kept watching out the window while the movie played in the background, and soon I saw something I never thought I would see. Two glowing green eyes peered into my window from down there. I stood as still as I could, not wanting to draw attention to myself. Whatever those eyes belonged to, it had a long snout tipped with a cold, wet nose that glimmered in the moonlight. It had ears folded back against its head, and muscular arms, with hands like a human. I blinked to make sure I was not seeing things. The creature lifted its head back, and howled as if it was telling me something. Then it disappeared into the dark forest. I closed the curtains, then jumped in bed, and I thought about it. But maybe a little unnerved. I lay in bed thinking about that wolf-like human thing. That's why we hardly ever go back there anymore. Meeting a Not Hungry Werewolf From Moon and Anime Life I live in middle Europe. It was the summer of 2020. It was kind of cold for an evening in the summer in our parts and I was hanging out outside with my two friends and my dog. We were bored, so we decided to go camping in the forest. As the evening approached when we would be setting up camp, my dog was not acting himself. He wasn't running around as usual. Instead, he looked scared, looking all around us, not going more than a few meters away from us. Ultimately, though, we ignored the strange behavior. We set up our tents and made a fire. I remember this well. I looked at my phone at one point and it was 6.43pm. We were still able to see. The sun hadn't gone all the way down yet. My friend went for some sticks for our sausages. I called my dog over, but he didn't come. It was then I realized my dog had gone missing. I thought that maybe he saw some fox, so he went after it. Fifteen minutes later, my friends come back with sticks and with my dog, but my dog looks even more terrified than before. I do my best to calm him down. One of my friends told us that he found my dog staring into the woods. They asked if that was unusual, and I replied that it was kind of strange for him. Later, when it was almost dark, we reinvigorated the fire And began to roast our sausages we were sharing different stories from our lives when suddenly my dog began to bark we had no idea why or what was going on at the time i was the only one who believed in vampires and werewolves of the three of us i looked up at the sky it was clear and there was a full moon above i told my friends that it might be a werewolf but they laughed at what I said. Finally, my dog calmed down, so we continued to talk, but I already had a bad feeling about things. I looked at my phone again, 11.15pm. I told my friends that we should go to bed. We didn't put out the flame because we were still kind of creeped out. We all went to bed, but I couldn't fall asleep. My dog started to bark again, It was irritating, and my friends got mad. We went out of our tents to check out everything, and what we saw I'll never forget. The fire was beginning to dwindle down, so it was harder to see the creature, but as we heard a growl, my friend said that it's a wolf. But after a moment, I noticed something. This wolf had a huge body maybe six feet tall on two smaller, hairy legs with a tail, a huge chest, and long two front legs, which had large claws. I tried to not look at its face, but when I did, I saw something like a wolf face with golden yellow glowing eyes. That's what I was able to make out from the fire. We were terrified, trying not to move, and my dog was right next to me, but he wasn't barking anymore. Then I couldn't help but speak. It's a werewolf. The creature took a step when I said that. I think it heard me. My friends gathered next to me. We were staring at the thing for a few more minutes, and it was looking at us, just observing us. None of us moved until we heard a crack of old wood or something a few meters from us. We turned to look there, as did the werewolf. Then I watched it run after the sound, taking off into the woods. I was in shock. We all were. We didn't really know what just happened. We all climbed into one tent because we were so scared. When I looked at my phone again, it was 4.18am. I was kind of mad at myself that I didn't look at my phone when I went out of the tent before I saw what I saw. We couldn't sleep, and by 6am we packed our tents and everything, and we quickly went back home. We told our story to a few hunters, but they started laughing at us. A week later, one of them came back to us and told us that we might be right. I'll never forget how scared he looked. After that, we never discussed it again. But from that time on, we weren't the only one who saw this werewolf. I'm still wondering, why didn't it kill us? Why was it just standing in front of us? I always see it in my dreams, and when it's the full moon, I can hear some howling coming from the woods. A few weeks ago, we went back to the same place. We were there all night, but nothing happened. I decided in the early morning when we were leaving to howl just to see what happened. A few seconds later, something howled back. It was the creature. Why am I sure that it was that creature? Because that thing was not from our forest. There are no wolves here. After hearing that, we ran off. And we're not planning to go back again. Dogman in Salado Creek, San Antonio, Texas. From Tex Santos. I'm 20 years old now, but even as a kid, I still knew not to mess with the cryptic or supernatural. I was hanging out with a friend of mine. We were trying to catch an Uber, but there weren't any drivers nearby. So I told my friend, I'll just walk home. No worries. He at least offered me a knife for protection, but I declined. I walked from the military drive to a house my high school friend used to live in. I made my way to the bridge at Salado Creek. I kept hearing this strange cracking sound. It reminded me more of a bone breaking, but I told myself it was just a stick or something. I looked in the direction of the noise, and I was terrified to see some sort of large dog or wolf eating a wild hog. Unfortunately for me, I was downwind of the creature. My scent carried to it, and when it smelled me, it looked up and looked right at me and it appeared extremely angry. I nearly messed myself. I must have been so pale in the face, like a ghost. I turned and carried on, ignoring it, hoping that it knew I was no concern to it. As I approached one of the nearby lights, I heard the brush move near me. In a panic, I looked over, and out of the bush came this hairy-looking arm of a brown color. Then I began to run, hoping that the lights would protect me, that maybe it was wary of the lights, but this was a silly thought as it gave chase. I was able to make it back home okay. It didn't seem to want to attack, rather it followed me and watched as if it was curious. As soon as I made it into my bed, I remembered a friend's uncle once saying that dogman encounters are quite common in Texas. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the U.S. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer New York deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. While Steve, separately, researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jinx, (laughs) the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one-month transformation today. Find Jinx in your local Walmart. A change of habit from Phil not often do unexplainable things happen to me. It was this one occurrence, however, that stuck with me ever since it had happened. Sure, scary things have happened to me, like getting pulled over or going to the hospital, but that stuff is relatively common if ghosts and unexplainable creatures are out of the picture. Anyway, to give my story some background, I live in Kentucky and I've always been a car enthusiast Along with that, I've always aspired to be successful to the point where I would not have to work the standard nine to five. I've been in a self-made business for the past few years and I think it's nothing short of a miracle how successful I've been. The first few years were absolute grinding without a doubt, but now I'm at a point where cash flow runs my budget. I'm thankful for all the blessings I've been given, but along with these blessings, Crap has happened too. This happened when I turned 35, when I went ahead and bought my dream car with the money I had to spend, a 2018 Nissan GTR Nismo. Man, is it a fast car. So fast and fun that I didn't feel one ounce of regret in spending the money I did for it. The wife wasn't exactly approving, but she's grown to enjoy driving it from time to time. Michael, my lifelong buddy, had owned a 2017 Mustang GT350 at the time. With the aftermarket exhaust setup he had, you'd go deaf being right next to it, while redlining the machine. To say we liked cars would be an understatement. We loved them. Only thing that teed me off was when he ragged on me for driving an automatic, as his GT350 was manual. But I'd come right back at him with a classic Mustang joke. Just stay away from crowds and you'll be just fine. Anyway, this incident happened one night while Michael and I were on a drive, cruising through the local back roads that we'd normally take on the weekends, while neither of us were busy. I live in a country-oriented area surrounded by forest, which isn't too far from the suburbs. It's great having peace and quiet, while also having the convenience to be able to drive 10 minutes to your local supermarket and whatnot it was around 10 o'clock at night at that point i was waiting for michael to arrive finally i heard the faint yet familiar roar of his engine a few miles away the guy just loved flying in that thing honestly i was surprised he hadn't gotten a ticket in the past two years of owning the car he arrived and i went into my garage to fire up the gtr even though it was a six cylinder it still had an excellent tone to it I backed out and he led the way down the long stretch of driveway. That day we took a route about 20 minutes away. This route was located in a really dense area of woods, plenty of curves and turns for us to enjoy. We'd often come here during the day to drive around solely because of the views as well. That night we decided we'd drive around this area for fun, and I would see if I could keep up with Michael, which was no problem. Looking back at it, I should have been the one leading. After driving for some time, it was midnight. We were on our way back to my house to finish the drive. We eventually came upon a mile stretch of straightaway back road, and this is where Michael tore away. He was full on sending it straight down the road, and I kept on his tail. I slowed down after hitting about 90, out of fear of hitting a deer or some sort of wildlife. Michael, however, disregarded anything that could stand in his way, because he wanted to prove he was more daring than me. He had gotten a considerable distance away when I heard his brakes screech all of a sudden. He almost wiped out as he downshifted to a halt. I sped up a little at this point to catch up and see what the heck just happened. I thought to myself, that idiot had it coming going that fast. He probably almost hit a deer. As my car approached his, he sped off once again, driving like a psychopath. I called him on Bluetooth, and he picked up in an instant. He said, Dude, my brakes just stopped working all of a sudden, and I saw these two figures in the road ahead. I was only able to brake as I swerved right past them, and then they dissolved. I had no idea what he was talking about. Especially how he said, them. Who were they? I got goosebumps as he said this, and I wasn't sure if he was trying to screw with me. But that just wouldn't have made sense. So I took him seriously. I asked what these figures looked like. Michael just said, They were in the middle of the road, just staring right at me. I couldn't really make out how they looked, I was going so fast, but they matched the statures of an adult. The two silhouettes appeared out of nowhere, and when I noticed them, I felt a feeling of dread wash over me. It was nothing like I'd felt before. The sinking feeling in my stomach was multiplied by a thousand. My brakes suddenly wouldn't work as I was slamming down on the pedal. As I was about to hit them and swerved, they... They went up into thin air. The two of us drove on for another minute, still on the phone, just trying to make sense of what happened. It was at this moment Michael said, Crap, I see two people walking along the side of the road opposite of us. They were walking in the direction we were coming. As we drove nearer, the two silhouettes continued at their pace. We were going at a crawling speed of 20 miles an hour now because michael had been so shaken up at what just happened on the straightaway he didn't have it in him to speed up as we passed these two now recognizable teenage looking kids they were ghostly pale and their faces were emotionless one boy and one girl with ripped and tattered clothes on it looked as if they'd been in an accident Their bodies were disfigured and mangled, and yet they were walking flawlessly down the road. I swallowed hard as we passed them. These must be the same two people Michael had almost crashed into a few minutes ago. But I couldn't stop thinking of how they had gotten here. They stopped and stared at us as we drove by. As I rode past, I looked at them in my rearview mirror. They walked into the tree line, out of sight. I was holding back tears at this point in disbelief and nervousness. Suddenly, out of nowhere, two bright lights began to shine behind me. They belonged to some sort of car. I'm pretty sure it was an older Mercedes, but I wasn't quite sure. It was just too dark out to be completely certain. Whatever the car was, it had begun to ride my bumper. Michael noticed the car too and was exclaiming, What the heck is this guy doing? I responded scared out of my wits. "I I don't know man, let's just get to the main road and off this back road. We had eventually gotten to the main road and that's when the car made an abrupt halt. As we got onto the main road we saw the car sit there motionless with its high beam still on. We drove on until the car became faint to the point of us not being able to see it. It had never moved. We soon got back to my house and started a fire in the backyard. I brought out my wife and we explained the whole incident to her. She was clearly just as disturbed as us once we had finished explaining the whole thing. We all kind of just sat there, contemplating all of this. It had grown real late at this point and Michael had decided to go back home, emotionally distraught. I quietly led him out to his car and we had made plans to meet up at some point in the future. Fast forward a few days later, I was driving on the very road where everything took place just to check things out. It was around noon, when I noticed something I'd never seen before. Even though I'd driven this road many times, I was not aware of the cross I'd seen on the side of the road as I drove through the straightaway this time. I stopped the car and studied the cross through my window. It was a roadside memorial, yet it didn't seem to be for one person. There were two people, a boy and a girl. Tears were streaming down my eyes at this point, and I felt an unnerving feeling of unease as I sat in my car, which was stopped in the middle of the now desolate straightaway. I didn't hesitate to drive cautiously out of that area, I shivered so hard the way home that I had trouble driving around corners and keeping my hands firm on the steering wheel. Ever since that day, nothing has really happened to me. I told Michael about the cross and he vowed he'd never be going on that back road again, whether it be day or night. When I think about it, all I feel is confusion and apprehension. I tried reading the names on the cross but the whole memorial was just too worn down. I haven't been back on that road since then neither to check on that cross nor to see if anything strange would happen quite frankly i'm just too scared the way michael reacted that night shook me he's a confident guy but the way he reacted on that road was like none other it really made me realize the emotional toll that experience had on him when he vowed to never drive that road again He also vowed to never be as reckless as he was that night, ever again on a public road. Sure, a promise is only a promise, but it ultimately comes down to the man who made it. I've seen something incredible happen. My friend has stuck with that promise ever since he made it. The whole incident messed with him to the point of selling his car. That's how much it reminded him of that freakish night. I really don't blame him. I get goosebumps whenever I think back to it. Since then, he's transferred to a simple WRX. Still fun, but not at all as fast. Especially with his younger daughter now, he figured he might as well get a car that is more family friendly. In a way, what happened humbled each of us. No matter how hard you try, you can never be 100% ready for the unknown. We've done our best to make peace with the event. And all I can say personally is I've been a more considerate driver since that day forward. The caution I now exercise on the road has made me realize something. Call me crazy, but I believe they saved our lives, even if it wasn't their goal that night. Reckless driving destroys people and their families. As ominous as the incident seemed at first, I've started to look at it in a different perspective. They saved us from ourselves. Regardless of what they were attempting to do that night, I've taken my lesson out of it. I've no idea where I would be today if this hadn't happened. More importantly, I don't know where my best friend would be. With the way he had driven before that point, he was bound to have something happen to him. Bad habits carry on throughout life, and only serious events and dedication can change those habits for the better. Always be aware of the lessons we're given throughout life. These are important, and teach us to be better people to the ones around us and ourselves. Culver's Creep From Anonymous It was another long and stressful day at Culver's in Florence, Kentucky. By this time, it was around 10.30pm on a Saturday, This was during the summer, so we kept the restaurant open until 11 on weekends. Normally, we stopped getting customers around 9.30. We're usually able to start up the closing procedures then. I was assigned to close down dining that night. The job consisted of wiping down tables, sweeping, mopping, vacuuming, and any other jobs the managers and shift leaders wanted me to complete. I was wiping down the booth located to the right of the main entrance when I heard the all-too-familiar swishing sound of the glass doors opening. I rolled my eyes and sighed. Great, I thought. Now I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing and take this guy's order. To clarify, I'm not a people person at all. I tend to get very easily annoyed by the way people act and treat others. So I clearly was not looking forward to putting on a fake smile and listening to someone else talk down to me like most customers do at this restaurant. Hello, sir, I said in my fake employee voice. How can I help you tonight? I felt dizzy for a moment as I tried to focus on the customer. It felt like I had a static change in location. I was disgusted at the sound of my overly optimistic tone. The man looked to be in his late 60s or early 70s. He had a stubby-looking white goatee on his chin and a tan windbreaker on. He also wore an old 1940s newsboy cap, or pancake cap, as I like to call them, on top of his balding head. The man didn't reply. What a jerk, I thought. He stood there for a good five minutes, blankly staring at the menu. I was getting ready to go restock the cups when the thin old man finally spoke. His tone chilled me. His voice was raspy and sounded like he had sandpaper stuck in his vocal cords. What's good here? Every word he said sounded like it came from a tunnel. It echoed and sounded very distant. Not only was this guy disrupting my closing process at 10.55, but he's never been here before. I prefer the Double Deluxe butterburger. I said. I gave him the most generic answer I could think of. He makes an awkward grumble sound as a way to respond to me. I sat at the register, impatiently waiting for him to order so I could finish closing and leave. He finally shuffles to the register and starts to place his order. I think I'll have a... He stopped in the middle of his sentence as he looked over to register 1. That night, a coworker of mine, M, had logged onto the register while I was taking the man's order. He looked at me and snarled. Ah, forget it. I'm going over to her. At first, I was teed off because of the unnecessary tone he had used with me. But then I noticed a yellow, toothy smile as he walked over to M's register. Wow. "'Aren't you awful, Party? he said. Once he uttered those disgusting words, a million different red flags popped up. I stood by the register and carefully eavesdropped the conversation. "'Would you like to come eat dinner with me?' The man's face looked like a hungry lion getting ready to pounce and tear apart an innocent zebra. M's eyes widened in fear. "'I'm sorry, sir.' She uttered, I have to work. The man's face quickly shifted into a pure look of frustration. Well, if they ever let you have a break, come on over and sit with me. Em swiftly nodded her head, avoiding all eye contact with this freak. Once he sat down, I went over to Em and asked if she was okay. Okay. She told me in a very serious tone that she got a very uncomfortable feeling about that guy. Me too, I said. If he comes up here again, I want you to go to the back and stay there until he's gone. She agreed, and we finished up closing. We were all ready to lock up and leave, but we couldn't. We couldn't because that weirdo was still here. After what seemed like an eternity, he waddled over to throw his tray away please just walk out please i pleaded in my head but it never works out that way does it he turns and makes a beeline for the counter i glanced over at him and mouthed the words get into the back as soon as i turned around the man was already behind the counter sir you can't be back here i said in a stern voice he just ignored me and kept his focus on him He took a few more strides past me. I quickly ran to catch up. Before he could get to M, I jumped in between the two of them. Sir, you need to leave now or I'm calling the cops, I told him. He doesn't even acknowledge my presence. He looks over my shoulder like I'm not even there. Once more, he cracked that hideous yellow smile. I could smell the tobacco he had put in his lip. Have a good night, sweetheart sure can't wait to come back and see you again he walked out from behind the counter and out the door not taking his dark eyes off of em i looked out the windows as i watched his old beat-up pickup pull out of the parking lot i kept an eye on it until his taillights faded into the darkness that night i walked him out to her car and made sure it was safe Shortly after the incident, M quit her job and moved away. I don't blame her. I can't imagine what kind of sick plans this monster had with my friend. What if I had left earlier than I was supposed to? What if he wasn't even human at all? What if he was still lurking in the shadows waiting until she was all alone? These thoughts haunt me. Thank God he left without hurting anyone. I still keep up with them and she seems to be safe. Just a warning to all restaurant employees in the greater Cincinnati area, especially women. There's a creep out there who preys on young employees. Make sure you're always on guard, because unfortunately, not everyone is as lucky as M. Man Disappears from Anonymous. In the winter of 2011, I got a call from my then girlfriend, telling me that her father had taken sick and was taken to the hospital. She had to go right away, but her kids would soon be getting off the school bus and I was to bring them to the hospital because they needed to see their grandfather. This might be the last time they got to see him. I went to her house and picked up the kids, a 17-year-old girl and an eight-year-old boy. They already knew what was going on, as their mother had called them before I arrived. So I got them in the car and started on the 20-25 minute drive. It wasn't very far to the Cumberland Parkway, here in South Central Kentucky. So I then got on the parkway to go to the next town, as that's where they had taken my girlfriend's father. That was the hospital her father's doctor was based at. It was cold and rainy, and darkness had already fallen as it does around 5pm that time of year in the winter here. As I neared the exit to get off the parkway, I saw a tall man that looked over 6 feet tall, walking in the emergency lane, about 8-10 to feet away from the white fog line, in a duster-like long coat, a floppy hat, and boots. He was walking at a fast pace, and I remember thinking, what a terrible night to be out. I began to switch to the left lane for safety's sake and not to splash water on this guy but then he just disappeared i mean he didn't fade away or go poof or anything like that he was just gone it was like watching a movie frame for frame and he was just taken out of the next frame and we weren't supposed to see it i was already halfway in the left lane when my girlfriend's 17 year old said Did you just see that? We began to describe the man to each other, just to be sure we saw the same thing. Same tall guy, same coat, boots, and hat, and the same disappearing act. The eight-year-old in the back seat was small even for his age, and he didn't see anything because he couldn't see over the front seat. The exit for the hospital was less than half a mile away. And when I got off the parkway, there was a state trooper at a BP station, and I wanted to stop and tell him what happened. But my girlfriend's daughter insisted that we go on to the hospital, because the trooper would think that we were drunk, crazy, or on drugs, or something. And he would delay us getting to the hospital. After really thinking about it, there was no way the guy jumped off the side of the road without us seeing him. I swear he just disappeared from existence right in front of us, and I'll take this to my grave. We got to the hospital. We told my girlfriend's family what happened, but it was overshadowed by her father's condition at the time. One more detail about the disappearing man. All of his apparel seemed to be the same color. A tan leather type color, like he was a cowboy or something. But who knows what it really means. Kentucky Horror House from Robert 13 Thompson When I was 15 it became common routine to watch my brother for my dad while he worked He was a single father and needed all the help he could get at times It was common for me to take care of my brother by myself for most of the week The worst part was the house we lived in it was nonetheless spooky and frightening at times Weird noises would come from the basement. Footsteps would flood the stairs late at night. And even voices would come from unexpected places around the house. As you grow up with things like this, you get used to them. They can even be entertaining when friends come over to stay and soon realize that all the things you told them about weren't lies and you're not crazy. On this one particular night, my father was working a night shift, And of course, I was to watch my little brother. Nothing unusual. He was easy to maintain. Video games and TV was all he would do until bedtime. His room was in the basement, so besides coming up to get food, I didn't see him much. On the night in question, everything was normal until I heard a knock on my bedroom door. I was looking at things on my laptop, probably browsing MySpace or something. I got up to answer the door, only to see my brother wide-eyed and nervous. Him being only nine at the time, I figured he'd had a bad dream. I asked what was wrong with him, and he said he'd heard something coming from a small window in the basement over his bed. Reassuring him it was probably just a dream, I sent him back to bed and let the thought leave my mind. About 20 minutes later, he knocks on my door again, this time with a bang. I hop up real fast, slightly frightened this time. I open the door swiftly and he says, something is down there. All of a sudden, the lights shut off. My heart begins beating through my chest as my little brother begins to cry. I pull him in my room and luckily we had a flashlight lantern in my closet. I quickly get it out and pray the batteries are still good. To my luck, they were. I turned it on to the brightest setting and I started to walk over to the windows of my bedroom. Mind you my room was upstairs and my brother's was in the basement where the breakers were. I looked across the street from my blinds and every street light and neighbor had lights on. It was just our home that was in darkness. Me being the brave older brother I told him that I would go flip the breakers. He begs me not to go. I could hear in his voice he was terrified. So I asked him finally, what exactly did he see? Well, he says he was lying still in his bed when he kept hearing the voice or sound coming from that window. His eyes were shut trying to sleep and ignore the sounds when it suddenly got louder and he opened his eyes to find a long fingered hand reaching for his face. That's when he ran upstairs to get me. And the power went out i continued to be brave and told him that i would go check out the house to show him that everything was okay when suddenly i could hear footsteps walking through the hallway and into the kitchen before loud stomping went down the stairs and back up them these footsteps followed the same path for what seemed like hours i was in shock I knew the doors and windows were locked, I knew that no one could possibly be in the house besides us, I knew that we have had experiences with the house with the paranormal, but nothing like this. I creeped to my bedroom door, my brother still crying and almost in a fetal position, begging me not to open it. I grab the door handle and turn, I pull the door open to the darkness of the house, I poked my head out when we heard a scream. Not just any kind of scream, but a scream of terror coming from the basement. I slammed the door and locked it, heart pounding through my chest. My brother is hysterically crying at this point. And then, the lights turn back on. I gather my thoughts, go to the back bedroom, and I grab a shotgun. I start flipping on every light in the house before making my way to the basement, only to find nothing many more occurrences have happened since but this particular moment will always stick with me When I was in high school, my friends and I loved to ride around at night and explore new locations around town. We tried to find roads that seemed to go nowhere. Sometimes we'd try one and it would only go a mile or so to a dead end. On other occasions, we would ride for an hour before we'd gone far enough, then we'd find a way back home. Keep in mind, we lived in a decent-sized city surrounded by nothing but mountains and farmland so we had no idea where we'd end up when we took a road on the outskirts that led off towards some mountain or field it was often exciting sometimes boring but nothing major ever happened we just smoked our weed and drank our beer while driving in the middle of nowhere with no fear of the cops It was around 2006 we discovered maps on the internet, and we thought we might try to find a decent road to take that we'd never gone down before. After all, these maps would show us the approximate length and where it would lead to. We chose Owl's Hollow Road. This one was strange because we had never noticed it before, even though it began near the middle of town and branched off of a main road near some apartments which we already knew well nonetheless we grabbed our weed and drinks and jumped in my old blue chevy truck for what looked like a pretty long drive we weren't too worried because the road ended on the main highway by a gas station that led straight back to my house we were driving down this road that we had discovered enjoying ourselves to the fullest but eventually things turned out to be a bit creepy It was completely wooded on both sides, with branches hanging over the road like some sort of tunnel. There were a few small homes at the start, but human dwellings soon stopped showing up after a few miles. We were about 30 miles in when I questioned my friends if they had any idea how long the road was. It had been quite a long time, and we hadn't seen a streetlight or even a house in miles. Their response was... No, how are we supposed to tell by the lines on this map? I then decided to inform them that I was going to be needing gas soon, as the warning light had been on for about 15 miles now. Quickly, they flogged me with questions of, Why didn't you tell us before? We should have just turned around. I myself was enraptured with the spookiness and nothingness of this location, nestled in the valley of the mountain. It was all completely unknown to me. There turned out to be no gas stations or any homes on this road before we ran out of gas. Everyone freaked out, considering no one knew where we were, and neither did we. I told my friends to calm down, and at the very least we could just sit and smoke some, while we waited for someone to pass by. Then we could ask them for help. Immediately, they reminded me that we had not seen another car, house, or light in 30 miles. If for nothing else but to calm them down, I told them they didn't make roads for nothing. And about that time, we actually saw headlights in the distance for the first time in nearly an hour. My best friend Sam immediately jumped out and flagged down the truck that was heading towards us. The driver was a burly, white-haired, and bearded man whose face looked like it had been cooking in the sun for 70 years. He politely asked if he could help. Yes, we ran out of gas and were hoping you could help us out, Sam shouted. We thought no one would come. The man then informed us that he had a gas can at his house about 20 minutes down the road. The man asked if anyone would like to go with him rather than just sit out here. He claimed that some weird things went on out there. Obviously, I wasn't leaving my pride and joy in the middle of nowhere alone, and my brother and our friend John decided it would be more fun to just sit and get messed up while waiting. Sam, however, decided to hop into the bed of the man's truck, claiming he wanted to ensure he came back to help us. Sam was gone, and he wouldn't be back for a while. It was then that I noticed a fire in the woods. I pointed the fire out to John and my brother, who asked what the deal was. People probably camp out here since it's so secluded. I guess because I was high and a little drunk, I decided to go check it out and told them they could come with me or stay here. They came along, and that was a huge mistake. I had been bluffing about going alone, If they had just stayed in the truck, none of this would have happened. We followed the fire through thick brush and brambles. We even crossed a small creek, which I thought in hindsight reminded me of the one from the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, kind of creepy. We were just about to the source of the flame when it completely disappeared. Not a trace of smoke or anything as soon as we were 20 yards from it. I looked around, and I saw my companions' faces in the moonlight, stunned as I was, because another fifty yards ahead was another fire. We looked back and could still see the moon reflecting off the bright blue of my Chevrolet. At this point, we decided we had come too far and should investigate the strange fire further. Maybe we had been high and misjudged the distance, Nevertheless, we continued after the fire, which further led us into the woods. Yet, each time we got close, it would disappear and reappear further in the woods. I'm not joking and have witnesses to this. To this day, we still talk about this moving fire. So, about the fourth time we finally caught up to the fire, at which point we were 200 yards into the woods at least, the fire didn't move. It had stopped moving we were able to walk near it. But that's when we saw a masked figure surrounding it, chanting something in some language we could not understand. We had been quiet and not talking at all since the first instance, so we were not noticed, not right away. As soon as my younger brother caught a glimpse of the scene, he whispered to me, they were trying to meant to be sacrifices before I could tell him how dumb that sounded almost as if they could hear him every head in the ceremony turned right towards us there must have been 20 of them with a roar from each of them and a scream from us we turned and ran back the direction we came with no fire to guide us now we were guessing running into trees tripping over logs tearing our clothes on briars we fled as fast and as far as we could as we were undoubtedly pursued by these people we could hear them coming and they most certainly were human because like us we could hear them injuring themselves just as we were finally we all made it to the truck i saw sam to my delight pouring gas into my truck with no sign of the man who had helped him. He waved and shouted, asking where we'd been. Is there enough gas in the truck? I shouted. Uh, y- yeah, I-, I was just pouring in the rest, he replied. Get in the truck, now! I screamed frantically. Without question, maybe because he could hear the commotion behind us, he hopped in the passenger seat and opened the back door for the others. I ran around to the driver's seat as fast as I could and started the truck, or I tried to. After about five seconds of prayer and trying, she fired right up. And right on cue, a man stepped out into the middle of the road to block our way. If that's how it was gonna be, it was either going to be his death or mine. And I chose his. Right before I hit him with the truck, He jumped to the side and, surprisingly, let us go. On the way, explaining everything to Sam was very simple, because the man had told him he wished the others would have come too, because of the devil worshippers. The man said they go into the woods at night, and we weren't the first people to disappear out there. Sam believed us right away, because the man had left his gas and gas can with him for free, and told him it was too late to be out there. And then, of course, Sam saw the cloaked, masked man try to bar our way. Not only that, but he kept swearing he could see cloaked silhouettes staring at us the rest of the way through the woods. The road turned out to be only about ten miles further, and we were home in about half an hour. Everyone was fine except for some minor and a few major cuts, scrapes, and bruises. One thing is sure. I now keep my tank full before going down any unknown road. Sleepy Hollow Scares From Joseph122 Whenever people think of Sleepy Hollow, they tend to think of Ichabod Crane, the Headless Horseman, and what happened the night Ichabod disappeared. My story doesn't involve any of these people, but it does involve the town of Sleepy Hollow, and how it changed my perspective of the supernatural. Before I tell the tale, I think it's important to know a few things. First, I've gone to Tarrytown and Sleepy Hollow a couple of times before this, usually as a class field trip. And while I definitely was creeped out by the stories, I never believed wholeheartedly that there was something supernatural at play. Second, my perspective on the supernatural has always been foggy to say the least, because my father is a devoted Catholic and my stepmother is a Protestant. But my stepmother and my sister have always had the ability to see spirits and were always more connected to the supernatural than I was. But because of my parents' deferring viewpoints, I was never quite sure which one to believe more. Of course, I believed in the supernatural, but I never thought it would ever affect my life. Now that that's out of the way, I'll continue my story. This happened either my senior year of high school or after I'd graduated. I remember it happening in the fall. More specifically, just before Halloween started. My girlfriend at the time, Victoria, always had a great love for anything that came from the American Revolution, and although the legend of Sleepy Hollow takes place after the Revolution, it's still tied to colonial America. And like my sister and my stepmom, Victoria had a connection with the supernatural that I did not. And so we always took trips over to Sleepy Hollow. The one specific place we usually visited was Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. One day, Victoria and I were visiting the cemetery like we always do. But on that day, we had decided to do something a little different. We went a little further into the cemetery. I thought nothing of it. After all, there were a lot of people buried here. One of the tombstones we came across was that of Washington Irving, the man who wrote about the legend of Sleepy Hollow. As we headed further into the cemetery, we came across a mausoleum. It belonged to a woman named Leona Helmsley. We couldn't go into the mausoleum because the doors were closed and locked, but that didn't stop us from trying to look through the glass doors. After trying to peer through the glass doors for a few minutes, Victoria's mother was waiting for us at the car, just a few feet away from where we were standing. We headed for the car, but as soon as I got in the car, I had a really bad, burning feeling on my left shoulder. I didn't know what was wrong with me, so I rolled up my shirt to see what was going on. I used the car window as a mirror. I'll never forget what I saw. On my left shoulder were claw marks the size of tiger's claws, and they were fresh. Victoria and her mother were completely shocked when they saw them. I knew for an instant that these were not made by human hands, because if they were, I would have felt them the instant it happened, and they weren't made by any tree branches passing by, because there were no trees above us or near us when we were at the mausoleum. After seeing my scratches, her mother took us out of the cemetery immediately. I think after this experience, it was the last time I ever went to that cemetery. And if it wasn't, I never went near that mausoleum ever again. I can't even recall the last time I've ever been to that cemetery after this. I think the only reason that I didn't get more permanent damage done to me was because I was wearing my chain and the medallions that I've had on my neck ever since I was a baby. My chain includes a cross and a St. Joseph medallion that were given to me by my godfather. So in a way, I had avoided something far worse than just a few scratches. I don't know what it was that attacked me, or why I was the only one that was affected by it, but I do know this. After the experience, I wholeheartedly believe in the supernatural. If someone were to ask me, do I think that there's such thing as spirits, I say to them, I don't think. I know they exist. I may not ever see the Headless Horseman, but there are definitely evil spirits in Sleepy Hollow. So, if you ever plan to go there, you best be prepared. Exorcism on Long Hollow Road From Misty K This story might sound made up, but I swear on my bible, it's 100% true. It's also complicated and long, so I apologize, but it doesn't make sense without the long, boring backstory and supposed urban legend. I used to have a Wiccan friend who claimed to be a medium. One night while my ex and I stayed over with her and her boyfriend, one of my oldest friends, we noticed things moving and cold spots in the house, even though there was no AC or draft. I mean heavy chain belts swaying back and forth on the hangers, despite all of us being huddled up on the other side of the room, as well as dog toys rolling across the floor, even though both dogs were asleep beside us. Being a supernatural enthusiast, and terrified at the same time, I asked her about it, and this is what she told me. A couple hundred years ago, there used to be an abandoned shack in the middle of the woods that surrounded her house. Although we live in a little suburban area, we also live very close to the Smoky Mountain National Park, so we still have a lot of undeveloped land in the area. Well, the house was occupied by a man who lost his wife in childbirth during their migration to the U.S., the family then consisted of the man and his three children. Now this man was not a nice man and hated women, including his wife and daughter. He hated them so much that he saw no need for his oldest child, the daughter, as he had two sons to bear his family name. One night, when he realized the youngest boy was old enough to take care of himself, he went into his 12-year-old daughter's room and tried to strangle her, but she fought back, causing him to gouge out her eyes. Her brothers, 8 and 6 years old, tried to protect her because she had been like a mother to them and they loved her. Enraged, the father took the lives of all 3 children Those three children were the spirits inhabiting her house in order to get away from their father who continued to torture them in death after he passed of old age. He too haunted the surrounding area, but my friend kept a protective barrier around her property so the kids would be safe from him. Whether any of this is true or not, I don't know, nor could I find any articles in our archives about such an incident. However, I do know one thing to be true. There really is an old angry and evil spirit that roams the area, and it's incredibly territorial. I know this from first-hand experience. Fast forward a couple of years, and I'm with a new ex who lives on the other side of those woods. I couldn't understand at the time, but I always felt uncomfortable in his little trailer if he wasn't home. It always felt as if someone was watching my every move. My new ex worked third shift, loading pallets of food products onto trucks for delivery. So if I stayed over on his work nights, I stayed alone from 6pm until about 6 or 7am with just his sweet guard dog and the TV. One night I actually did see a vague shadow of a person standing just in front of the back door, Looking into the bedroom, the hallway light was on and shining directly onto the figure, but it was smoky with no discernible features except it was tall. It startled me so bad, I got my ex's attention to see if he noticed. Of course, he didn't, but he wasn't like my ex before him who believed heavily in the paranormal. After that, I started sleeping on the couch in spite of his protests and him actually getting angry with me for sleeping on the couch instead of the bed, saying I'll ruin his couch. Turned out I felt comfortable sleeping on the couch rather than in the bed when alone in the house, due to the heavy iron cross hanging by the front door next to where the couch sat. It was my best friend who noticed and pointed it out. My new ex, though, didn't care. I still wasn't allowed to sleep all night on his couch, That wasn't the only reason I stopped staying over for a while, but it was the reason I didn't stay alone in his house anymore. And it also wasn't the cause of our breakup. Soon after was the end of our relationship, but not the end of the story of my haunting. My BFF, who I'll call B, was itching for the past couple of years to move out of her mom's house, and she could not do it on her own. So my now ex put in a good word with his landlord for the vacant trailer next door. Before we knew it, we were moving into the house next door, unaware of the terror that would soon follow. It started out slow at first, like most hauntings do. Doors opened on their own. Unexplainable but not ordinary house noises could be heard like tapping on windows with clearly no one there. And random voices that didn't belong to us. Typical haunting signs. Except we were seeing shadows, and B was actually a medium unwillingly. She could see our guests as if she were seeing me, like the sixth sense type of manifestations, if you will. I was and still am sensitive, but not like B. I believed her though when she told me three children. An older girl about 12 to 13 and two younger boys wanted in the trailer to seek refuge. This was about the time my Wiccan friend and her boyfriend broke up and no longer lived in the neighborhood on the other side of the woods. These spirits were bound to the area, and had nowhere to go to get away from the evil spirit that plagued these woods. B, being skeptical of all the spirits she met, said it’s best if we don’t interfere because helping them will only bring more need of help, and she didn't have the energy or time to deal with wayward ghosts. Keeping the bad spirit away took enough effort. After a while, things calmed down, until one morning when I was headed to work. B had already left hours ago, so it was just me at home to lock up. I checked the old sliding bolt lock and the tumbler lock on the back door then made sure they were in place and locked the front door on my way out. I made it to my car and started the engine. When I realized, I left my phone on the counter and went back inside. To my horror and shock, the back door was wide open, swinging in a breeze not strong enough to move those doors. I grabbed my baseball bat from behind the couch and scouted the tiny trailer, only to find... it was empty... Terrified and creeped out, I quickly locked both doors and floored it to work. After coming home and telling Bee what happened, she hung a giant, authentic dream catcher next to the back door. A Native American friend we worked with had blessed it and given it to Bee for her birthday one year. We didn't have any more issues with the doors opening after that. What we did have, however, was a visitor in the cow field behind the house. After hanging the dreamcatcher and cleansing the house ourselves, we noticed a difference in the atmosphere, and that it had shifted to the back where the field was. Now, to get to the bathroom, you had to pass the back door, and it had a little diamond window you could look out of, meaning you were seeing whatever was out there. One night, we were relaxing, eating dinner, and watching movies, when I had to take a bathroom break. I didn't make it past the door when a strange light in the field caught my eye. Quickly and hushed, I called B over to check it out. Now there was another house a distance away, and the porch light was that orange color you see on older houses, and it was on at the moment. However, there were three lights shining in the field, and two of them were bigger and brighter than the distant porch light. We could tell it was closer and actually crouched in the field as long hay and unkempt grass swayed in the foreground of the aura. B said to just ignore it and come back to the couch. She even taped black construction paper over the little window so nothing could look in on us. It didn't help all the dead birds and rodents we started finding around the fence line or the terrifying screams we heard every day around dusk for a week either. I understand the yellow eyes, dead animals, and eerie screams could be explained by a lost mountain lion which wander in from time to time, but the timing of it all was too coincidental for us both. Skip ahead a couple of months, and things had settled more with only the occasional weird item moving from one place to another, or a disembodied voice here and there. A mutual friend of ours had just been released from his military contract with a medical discharge and had moved back home. I'll call him L for short. Excited to see L, we cooked and had a few mixed drinks. We literally had two each, nothing to get drunk on. At this point, it's important to note that B had been on a new medication for a while to stabilize a misdiagnosed bipolar disorder, and shouldn't have been drinking with the medicine. That being said, she still did socially. Occasionally, we had wine coolers with dinner, being the independent and mature adults we were at 22. This is important because I'd seen everything she did while on this medicine and drinking. With or without alcohol, the most she did was eat and drink things in her sleep or talk excessively in her sleep. She never did anything like what I'm about to tell you. Let me stress, this is very important so you can understand that what happened was not a result of the medication or combining it with alcohol. So we're sipping on mixed drinks, listening to music, dancing, and having a good time, catching up, when B stops and says she has to use the bathroom. She wasn't complaining about feeling sick or was troubled in any way, she just had to pee. The next thing I hear is the lack of a door shutting and B throwing up into the toilet. Concerned, I asked if she needed a wet rag or water only to be answered with the sound of the door slamming so hard it shook the whole house. I called out worried that something was wrong and B screamed four words that made my blood turn cold. There's someone in here. She screamed as loud as she could. The bathroom door was literally four steps away from where I was standing, so L and I rushed to the door to see what was going on, only to find the door was locked. I was panicking at this point, because I heard B scream for help, followed by silence. L took action and went into the kitchen for anything to get the door open. He made quick work of the knob and flung the door open, pistol in hand. Except, There was only Bee on the floor, cornered next to the wall and tub. She was curled up with her head between her knees like a child. I asked nervously if she was okay and said there wasn't anyone but us here. That's when Bee shot her head up and gave me the most bone-chilling glare I've ever seen and have yet to see on another person. Her eyes were bloodshot, like she hadn't slept in weeks. And her voice was dark as she looked from me to Elle and began screaming something in what I later learned was Swedish. She was screaming, I'll kill you in your sleep! in Swedish, and she was pointing to us over and over. Horrified and knowing something just wasn't right, I can only describe what I did next as feeling like I was moving in slow motion. It felt as if something else had taken over my body as I calmly stepped into B's room, grabbed a little jade cross I'd bought her as a souvenir a long time ago, prayed to God that this worked, and threw it around her neck. Instantly, her eyes were no longer bloodshot and dark, her face was confused and scared, and she asked what we were doing with her in the bathroom floor and us standing over her. I almost cried. I asked her, Do you not remember anything that just happened? She said no. The last thing she remembered was entering the bathroom, and then everything was black, until she saw us towering over her. She didn't even remember throwing up. She wasn't joking, either. It wasn't a prank, and there was no ha-ha-gotcha moment. We were all pretty shaken, as we silently came to the realization that I had just exorcised an evil entity out of my best friend, possibly the same one that had been stalking the area for decades. What makes me think that or believe my Wiccan friend's story? The family was allegedly Swedish, and B had no prior knowledge of hardly any of the supposed urban legend. We weren't able to put all the pieces together until after the creepy but swift exorcism, I didn't notice where the woods and two neighborhoods lined up with each other until digging for answers. I didn't stay in that house much longer after that, opting to move in with my now-husband. I do know one thing, though. You can't talk about him, or he will come. That's how B ended up possessed. We were talking about everything that had been happening with L when everything went downhill. We were talking about him when we saw the eyes in the field, and in the beginning when the spirit children came to us. We won't be making that mistake ever again, and to this day I try not to talk about the spirit I named, He Who Comes When You Call. I don't know if that entity is a human spirit turned evil, or if it was ever human to begin with. I don't know what it is, but I steer clear of it and anything to do with it. I still sense it passing through sometimes, but that's when I pray and try to be with literally anyone else of their home. My husband doesn't believe me either, so if you don't, that's okay. I don't need you to believe me to know what we went through, or to be terrified of Long Hollow
1: Road.